Turn to Psalm chapter 8 and give your attention to the reading of God's word today. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, the Psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. And still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of the hands, that you have put all things under the feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along these paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, we've been making our way through the book of Psalms, and we're on Psalm 8 today. And so it's been a fun journey as we walk through and see what God has had for us um, in His Word. And over the past couple of weeks, man, we've really been in a stretch in those Psalms where they've been Psalms of lament um, or sadness. And man, last week was really heavy, and the week before that was even heavier, and so we have a happy psalm today. And like for the sake of me studying the Bible all throughout the week, I was super excited about that. I was like, all right, David's not down and depressed this week. Um, He's actually excited and he's happy. And Psalm chapter 8 is a psalm of praise And just maybe as a way of introduction, um, this will be helpful for us as to what Psalm chapter 8 talks about. Um, On April 30th in 2016, Robert Galbraith um, released his book entitled The Cuckoo's Calling. And it really didn't do much um, on the charts. It was sort of a crime novel. Nobody had ever heard of the author before. And um, it just sort of was released, and you didn't hear very much about the book. That is, until July 14th, when the news broke that the author actually was not Robert Galbraith, but the author was J.K. Rowling, um, the very famous author of the Harry Potter novels. And what did that do to this book? Well, um, oftentimes authors or musicians, whenever they want to break into a new genre and not have their name affect uh, their art, they'll sort of do a pseudo name. And so J.K. Rowling had never written this type of book before, so she released it under that pseudo name of Robert. And when news broke, one article said this, Before the news, the book was ranked 4,709 on Amazon's bestsellers list. The day that the news broke that it was J.K. Rowling as the author, it jumped to number three. Unsurprisingly, that makes it in the number one category of a mover and shaker on the website. 
with a 156,866% increase in sales in 24 hours. What is in the power of a single name? Well, quite a lot, it seems. I mean, think about this. The book releases, nobody cares about it, news breaks, that it's not that author, but that this name then, J.K. Rowling, gets attached to it, and in one day, it breaks all sorts of records and sales just because a different name was attached to it. And when you think about it, names are massively important. I mean, think about it when it comes to clothing or when it comes to automobiles or anything like that. If there is a certain name that is attached, then everything changes when it comes to the value of that. When you look in Psalm chapter 8, Psalm chapter 8 is bracketed. In verse 1 and in verse 9, David says this, O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all of the earth. David is speaking about the majesty of God's name. Now, in just a minute, we're going to understand what's the importance of God's name? What is God's name? How did we get that? But what this psalm is talking about is it's talking about God's name and what God's name is attached to changes everything. But there are two sort of major doctrines in this psalm, if you will. Um, The first one is theology, which the term theology, big word, it just means the study of God. Okay, so oftentimes I hear people, you know, they're like, oh, man, I don't I don't need to study theology, man. I just need to love people, just take care of people, man. Well, um, at the end of the day, your theology, your study of God affects how you love people, how you take care of people. The reality is, is we are all theologians. All of us have thoughts and opinions about God. Some of us are just really bad theologians, okay, right? So theology just means the study of God. And then the second thing that we see in this psalm is, is a really, really big word, okay? But it's anthropology, which just means the study of human beings. So... If we look at Psalm 8 in its whole, we see that David has some theology, some study about God. David makes some claims about who God is, what God does. And then David asks the very, very famous question, who is man that you are mindful of him? What David does is David starts with the theology of God. And then David moves to who he is and to who, uh, to who human beings are. And listen, the reason why that's so important is the order in which this comes in. Please listen to me. David understands something, that you have to start with God before you understand anything else. And the reason why this is massively important to understand is the world and society and everything else wants to start with human beings first. That's why the largest section in any bookstore is the self-help section that we're all seeking to change. We're all seeking to understand who we are and what our purpose is on this earth. And mankind for centuries has started with the question, Who am I? 
rather than starting with the question, who is God? And what I'm here to tell you today is this. Listen, the reason why this matters, the reason why this affects your job, the reason why this affects your marriage, the reason why this affects your parenting is because if you start with yourself first, that's only bad news. Always. But if we start with God at first, the creator of everything, then we can only see creation rightly. I love the way that John Calvin, one of the Protestant fathers of the Reformation, said this. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends. What John Calvin is saying is you must start with God and then everything else rightly falls into place. And so just looking at Psalm 8, I think the big idea and the thesis for us today that can help us is this. You can't know who you are until you know who God is. You can't know who you are until you first know who God is. And listen, if, if you're a teenager in here, college, if you're dating, if you're in a season of transition in your life, listen, this is massively important for you to understand. Because what you will do in seasons of transition in your life is you will try to attach yourself to something in order to find your identity, your worth, or your purpose. That's why. Why are we so amazed when we hear a guy like Tom Brady? Okay, you either love him or you hate him. But, I mean, this guy is, everything he touches turns to gold. He's winning all these Super Bowls. He is married to a Victoria's Secret model. He drives up in a Ferrari. But in an interview, after his fourth Super Bowl, he asks this question. Is this really all there is to it? Is this really all there is to life? And then what we do while we're sitting on the couch eating Doritos and pizza and going, man, I'd live so different. Look at those celebrities. They have such a hard life, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, when your job says we no longer need you or your spouse says I want a divorce or the doctor says it looks like cancer and our world falls apart, what we realize in those moments is we're no different because we're human beings, because we are trying to attach ourselves to something. And I would venture as far as to say this. Some of us in the room today are experiencing either fear or anxiety or relational conflict or something is going on in your life. And I would say that deep down under all the circumstances and all the specifics that there is an idol that we have created that we have tried to say that this is my worth and my value and my importance and that idol is not giving you what you need. And then it shows itself in a number, in a myriad of ways. And so today I want to do exactly what David does. There's really two major sections in the psalm. I want us to look at God's name and then humanity's frame. 
And, and in order to help us with God's name, I want us to look at maybe like an acronym that can help us understand the importance of this, okay? So the first point is this, God's name. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So there's a number of things in the very first verse that I want you to see. Do you notice how the first Lord is capital in your Bible? And then the second one is lowercase. And then David says that it's God's name that's majestic. And then he speaks of God's glory being above in the heavens. What David is doing in the very first verse is he's showing that God is separate from his creation. That, that this God is big. That this God is majestic. And that this God is above his creation in the heavens. And he's surrounded by glory and majesty. But the evidence of that is found in God's name. And David actually uses God's name. That's why the first two lords, the first one is capital. Now, now some of you have grown up in church. You know this story. You know the difference in this. And some of you are like, is that a typo in my Bible? What's going on? I don't understand this. Well, check this out. There's a moment in the Old Testament when Charlton Heston asks God um, for his name, right? So there's this moment when Moses, who has led the people of Israel out of slavery and bondage, God has sent the plagues, he's parted the Red Sea, God's done all of this stuff, and God has shamed the, the gods of Egypt and showed himself to be the one true God. And then God tells Moses, um, hey, you need to go tell them this. And then Moses says in Exodus chapter 3, he actually says these words. He says, um, who am I supposed to say that, that sent me? And then God uses the phrase, tell them the I am sent you. And so this is actually what the name looks like in the original language. In the Hebrew, it is Yahovah. Okay, this is what it looks like for the two of you who care in the original language. But in our English Bible, it's translated with all capitals to denote this. That this is God's personal name. Um, Yehovah. The Jews actually thought that that um, was the sound that we make whenever we breathe in. And we breathe out. Yeah. Ho. Va. They said that when babies cry, the very first thing that a baby says is God's covenant name. That when somebody passes away and dies and gasps for air, that they say God's covenant name. This name was such a big deal that they would drop the vowels in the name and they would only use certain letters whenever the scribes were writing it down. Whenever the scribes were writing down Yehovah's name, they would stop 
go wash their hands, ceremonially wash their body, and throw away the pen and get a new pen as they began to write and to ascribe and write down the rest of the scriptures. This name was so sacred and so important. Well, let me just show you. This is what it looks like in Exodus 3, and there's something very interesting that God does. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Listen, you've got to understand an ancient culture. And especially in ancient times, they were in Egypt where there was the cow god, the god of the morning sun, the god of the afternoon rain, the god of afternoon nap. I mean, there was like gods for everything. And so a name... A name communicated a God's nature. That's also why in the Bible a name is so important. That's why you're known as the son of so-and-so or this, that, and the other. Your name was everything. It was your character. It was your lineage. It was all of that. And this, so Moses says, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, Exodus 3, this is so epic. If I could have been anywhere at any given point in any time for anything, I would have loved to have been in the garden on resurrection morning. That would have been dope, okay? But then in verse 14, I would have loved to have been here. I mean, we're on the mountain. I mean, there is thunder. There is lightning. Moses is, can't even look at God. And then God thunders. I mean, this is the creator of the universe, thunders and says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Mic drop moment. Like, what does that even mean? That's not even a name. Like, what is your name? I am who I am. It's like Darth Vader voice or something, right? I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. We have a tough time even translating these Hebrew words, Yehovah. It literally means the existing one. I am, I will, I am always. Like it's just this all-encompassing phrase. But here's what I love. Interesting. Moses doesn't name God. God reveals his name. What's the application to that? When you name something, you're ascribing a sense of dominion and power over that. That's why we name our children. We name our pets. I mean, not in that order or anything like that, right? But when you name something, you are in a position of prominence. Notice, we do not name God. God reveals his name. Oh yeah, by the way, remember... In the Christmas story, when the angel comes to Mary and says that you're pregnant and you will bear a son and you shall call him Jesus. Notice Mary and Joseph didn't even get to name their son. Why? Because that son was God in the flesh. So it's interesting, this, this idea of a name describing God's nature. And so I want to spend some time as to why is this important for us? What does God's name communicate to us that we need to know? Now listen to me. We're going to study a little bit of theology here. 
But theology has a direct effect upon your life. So we're going to look at some stuff, and then we're going to see how this applies to your life. But maybe you can help learn what God's name, what does that mean? I've grown up in church, but why is that important? What does God's name communicate? The first thing is this, in, it communicates God's nature. God's nature. What we see in this psalm and what we see all through the Bible is that God is separate from his creation. That this God is high and lifted up. But more than anything, we see two attributes of God that when we join them together, make God who he is. And that is that God is holy love. Listen, those two words have to live together. Holy means separate. It means apart. And love is the self-sacrificing thing that every human heart desires. Some of us tend to lean one way or the other, that God is love or that God is holy. But what we see through God's name is that God is holy love, that he's perfect. The second thing is this, the A, God's attributes. We see that God is unchanging. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is majestic. I mean, I mean, we see all of these attributes that he's merciful, that he's faithful, that he's kind, that he's all of these things, that this is who God is. These are the attributes that never change. And please listen to me. The God of the Old Testament is still the God of today. It is still the God that we pray to today. God's name communicates his attributes, but more than anything, God is glorious. We see David say that in the psalm. And then the next thing is this, God's mission. N-A-M. What is God's purpose? Why has God created this creation? Why is God involved with it? We see it all the way from Genesis chapter 3. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin in the garden. You see, before that, it was perfect. There was a face-to-face relationship with God. And then we see that they hear God coming and they run away. But what does God do? For some of you, this is going to blow your mind. Because some of you grew up with this idea of, you know, God's out to get you. And if there's sin, then God's not going to be around that. And buddy, you better clean your life up. Listen, what you need to do is clean your life up. Get right with the Lord. And I want to see you in church on Sunday, okay? And so you have all this stuff that's happening. And in your mind, you're so fearful of who this God is. But when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, listen to me, does God run away from them? Or does God run towards them? God runs towards them. And God asks this question, Adam, where are you? And from that moment forward, what we see in the rest of Scripture is that God is a loving father seeking his lost children. That he's moving towards us. That's what God's mission is. And then the last thing is this, God's eternality. N-A-M-E. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Listen, before there was something, there was someone. Before there was anything, time, existence, listen, there was relationship. There was love. Listen, all of these things are massively important for us to understand who God is. 
But how does this affect our life? I think in a number of ways. The first one is this. The first area is, is that the God of the Bible is both powerful and personal. You see, we believe that God is the creator. And so when we're at the Rocky Mountains or at Current River or somewhere, we're like, wow, look at this. This is so beautiful. God created that. But in the depths of our heart and in the depths of our mind, we don't believe that that God is involved in our everyday life. We believe that that God has bigger things to do that maybe he's probably involved over there in the Middle East or this or that. But what we see is what David says in this psalm is that you created all of this, but the thing that blows my mind is that you care for us. Listen, I need you to hear this today. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. That God is always present and at work in our lives. And just because you can't see it or just because you can't name it doesn't mean that he's not at work. This is what separates the God of the Bible from any other religion in the world. All other religions either have a God that's very personal but not powerful or a God that is very powerful but not personal. Only in the God of the Bible do we see both of them. The second thing that I see is this, is that the God of the Bible is the creator of all creation. Please listen to me. This is going to be highly offensive, and this is not politically correct, but welcome to Westside, and we're glad you're here, okay? Please listen. In this day and age, in this day and age, the greatest theology or study of God that is taught is oneism. And here's what I mean by that. That there is no heaven or hell. That there is no lie or truth. That there is no male or female. That there is no light or darkness. That there is no this or that. But everything is all one. And whatever is true for you is true for you. And whatever is true for me is true for me. Please listen to me. One of the things that we see in the Bible is that there is a creator and that there is creation. And in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, humanity begins to twist all of that when we don't see the distinction. The reason why this is important to understand is to understand that we are not our own gods. And I know you say, well, I would never say that out loud. Gosh, I'm, I don't believe that, Pastor, that I'm, that I'm God. or that, You know what Jesus would say? He would say, hey, um, show me your checkbook. Show me your bank account. And show me your calendar. And I'll show you if you really believe that there is a God or if you believe that you're your own God. And do you know what we do as Christians? We say stuff like, oh, well, that, my checkbook's just between me and the Lord. That, well, that's a very personal question, Pastor. Exactly right. And what Jesus is saying is the way in which you live reveals whether you actually believe this to be true or not. And then the last thing that I see is this, is that the God of the Bible must be responded to properly. Please listen to me. If everything that I've just said is true, okay, here's what I want you to do tonight. You can do this with Psalm chapter 8. When the sun goes down, if you're able to go outside and look at the stars, which is what I believe David was probably doing. David was probably maybe on the roof of his palace looking up at the galaxy, looking up at God's creation. And listen, David didn't even have Google Maps. 
David didn't have the Hubble telescope. David didn't have any of that stuff. Only what he saw. And then in those moments, David felt really, really small. Do you know there's actually a word for that? You've experienced it. Whether you're looking at the ocean or you're holding a newborn baby, the Celtics called it a thin place where it seems to be that heaven and earth, there's not much distinction. That it's almost like that this is heaven on earth. Um, There's one great theologian who experienced this moment and it changed his life forever. Um, Pastor Timothy Keller has affected my life in a number of ways. He loves Jesus and he's a writer and an author. But he describes this moment when he realized, whoa, if God is actually God and the creator and I connect these dots, well, I'll just let him tell you. When I was a new Christian, a young Christian at a camp in Colorado was speaking I listened to the woman who was a great Bible teacher. In her teaching at one point, she said this, if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, was the thickness of a piece of paper, then the distance between the earth and our nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. The distance between the earth and the end of our galaxy, just our galaxy, would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Our galaxy is just a little speck of dust in the universe. And if God created all of that with just his fingertips, and if God upholds all of this with just the word of his power, like Hebrews says, then do you ask a God like that to be your assistant? Then do you ask a God like that to serve you in certain areas in your life? Do you connect with him in order to get him to do what you need? Do you ask him in your life to be a consultant? Oh no. If this is true, and if this is who God is, then when you come into connection with a God like that, you become his assistant. Do you understand how this connects the dots? This is who God is. So now how I view marriage, how I handle money, what I believe about the world, this matters. Because this is God's name. This is who he is. And then David transitions to humanity's frame. And just briefly, what David says about what humanity is. If that's who God is, then this is who humanity is. When I looked at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, isn't it incredible? When I read that, I thought God created everything just by the word of his mouth in in one part of the Bible. But when I read this, you know how on your iPhone, when you kind of stretch in to like see something on the screen, that's how God like stretched the galaxies into place. God was like, yep, that's the Milky Way right there. Like that's what David is saying, the moon and the stars. What is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for Him. Listen, some of us have a very low view of ourselves, and some of us have maybe a too high view of ourselves. And what God does here in these verses is He gives us a correct view of ourselves. Um, the first thing that I see is this. We are created by God. That's very simply in the text. <clears throat> that we are created by God. Do you know how that affects the way you live? That means we believe as Christians what's called the imago Dei, the image of God. That every human being on the planet has worth and value, no matter who they are. They are created in the image and likeness of God. As C.S. Lewis says, you have never had a conversation with just a mere human being, but somebody who was created by God. That means that affects how we interact with people. That means that affects of what we believe about human life, all of these things. But more than that, if you can hear the sound of my crackly voice today, okay, please hear me, that you matter. Please, you matter. And some of you, if you were honest and took off the Christian mask in here, listen, I'm so exhausted by all the Christian language and the I'm fine and the this, that, and the other. And in reality, your life is falling apart and you feel like you are at the end of your rope and that there is no purpose for you to continue. But what I'm telling you today is that you matter and that you're seen and that you're created and you are loved. Don't give up. Don't give up that you are created by God. And then the second thing is this, that we are cared for by God. You see, it's one thing to be created. It's one thing for God to be involved in our day-to-day -day lives. And David says, who is man, the son of man? There it is right there in verse 4, that you care for him. Hey, um, newsflash. That thing that has you up at night, that prodigal grandson or that prodigal daughter or that prodigal son or that relational conflict or that doctor's report, please, please don't miss this. For some of you, it's the reason why you came to church today. Whatever that is, God cares more about it than you do. God cares more about it than you do. And that's hard for some of us to believe and even imagine. But the reality is, is that this God is involved in his creation. And then the last thing is this, is that we are crowned by God. Look at what he says. It's right there. Verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels. To summarize all of this, um, there was another theologian by the name of Karl Barth. And it was just a genius guy. He was a German theologian. He had a great impact on the Western world. Karl Barth wrote um, his magnum opus, this big thing of theology. It's 14 volumes. It's called Church Dogmatics. When you go to seminary, you have to read some. It's like just a real big deal. If you want a name drop or if you want to have it in your library, a theologian will be like, ooh, that's cool, right? Okay. It has six million words in it about the theology and the study of God and this, that, and the other. Karl Barth was interviewed by Christianity Today. And the interviewer said, I mean, this is unbelievable. You've shared insights that have expanded the human mind, that have made us understand and love God more. Mr. Barth, having written all of that, six million 
words. What is the number one takeaway for you? I mean, you are deep in the faith. You know God. Karl Barth took off his little funny glasses, took a puff of his pipe, and said these words. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. We don't move beyond it. We don't move beyond the gospel. We don't move beyond this all-powerful, all-personal God that at the end of the day, that that's what it's about. That Jesus Christ lived the life I couldn't live, died the death that I deserve, and God shows, the God of the universe shows His great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We never move beyond that. And because of that, then God crowns his creation. Verse 5, Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 6, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. That God isn't just like, Hey, you're my slaves and you're going to work for me. What God is saying is you are the crown of my creation. That nothing else in all of creation is created in the image and likeness of God. It's why, listen, you have a soul. As Billy Graham would say, every human heart has a God-shaped hole in it. Your soul is the immaterial part of you that lives forever, that is created in the image and likeness of God. It's the reason why we long for things. It's the reason why when we stand at a graveside, we say, this isn't right. When we see what's going on in the Middle East, we go, that's not right. Because there is a part of you that longs for this creator. But there's a problem. And you can almost sense it in the text, right? God is like way up here. God's like way up here. And we are like way down here. God is like perfect and holy and just, and we are not. And there is a separation between us. So what is the answer? Interesting. You know that little phrase when David says, you care for him, you could circle that and write in the margin of your Bible, visit. The literal translation of the word is, you visit him. And did the phrase, the son of man, that you were mindful of him, sound familiar to you? It should, because that's the number one title that Jesus uses for himself. Please listen to me. This image, I think, is probably helpful for us when we are separate, that God is over here and we are over there, that we need something to bridge the gap. And the idea is that that's the purpose of Christ. See, Psalm 8 is all about Jesus. And the reason why Jesus was fully God and fully man was in order to fully bridge the gap between God and man. So this God that we feel separate from, we now have access to in the purpose of Jesus Christ. As the band comes up and leads us in a time of response, we actually see Psalm chapter 8 quoted in the New Testament. It's actually there in the book of Hebrews, and it says these words. 
For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we were speaking. For it has been testified somewhere what is man that you were mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. But here it is. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Listen, the link for all of this and what bridges the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the access. Jesus Christ is what every human heart is longing for. And for those of us who have questions today, like how is God involved in my life and how does this make a difference? Jesus would say these words, that every hair on your head and that every bird that falls from a tree, God knows about it. And God cares and knows for you. And because of Jesus Christ, we have access to this God now. So I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what feels overwhelming, but I'm here to tell you this that it's nothing that this all-powerful God can't handle. And I'm also here to tell you this, that this all-powerful God desires a relationship with you. What would it look like? What would it look like for you to do what David did and to stop and to drop the mask and to feel small for just a moment and to be taken to the mat by God's holiness and his majesty. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful that you're so powerful. God, that when we look to your creation, we see how small we are. God, may we respond to you rightly. Some of us today, God, I even have the tendencies to treat you like a genie to just simply ask for things and to get things from you. And at the end of the day, I'm trying to treat you like my assistant. Oh God, forgive us of our small view of you. But today, may we be overcome by your majesty, by your holiness, by your grace, and by your power. And God, today, May we be drawn to Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the very second member of the Trinity. Jesus, you said before Abraham was, I am. That we can behold all of this in the face of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for those today who are going to lay down burdens. God, I pray for those today who need a glimpse of your majesty. God, I pray for those today who feel like that they are hopeless and in despair, that today they realize that there is a God that loves them and cares for them and has crowned them. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.